Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? How's your week been? Oh, well, um, I'm sorry to hear that, but look, fear not, it's the end of November almost, which means it's nearly December, which means it's nearly Christmas, which means we can all have a little break, uh, apart from me and Griff, because we've been on the road meeting brilliant people and having fantastic conversations, and those episodes are going to be coming thick and fast every Thursday, a day for your diary. It's one date that means two things, the 13th of December. Write that in, go on, 13th of December, because that is the date when we will announce the T-shirt design winner from the competition a few weeks ago. That is also your deadline date. It's the deadline to give us your best of moments of 2018. We did it last year. It was a great success. We're going to do it again. We'll probably split it into two parts over Christmas. It's a great way of picking out your favourite bits we love hearing back from you every week. Um, we've got a lot of entries in so far, especially for Carl Pilkington. So if Carl was your favourite moment, go away and pick something else because Carl is definitely going to be in there. Fear not. Now, this week is episode 66. Now, remember weeks and weeks ago when we had the brilliant Jodie Whittaker on the podcast and I said to you, I said, look, I'm going to try and get some more Doctor Who guests on. Well, I'm a man of my word and we've done it. Because this week, we went to London to sit down with the fantastic Mandip Gill. This is episode 66, bloody hell, can you believe it, of the Two Shot Podcast. And we go to London and sit down with Mandip Gill. Please enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. You got a cold at the moment? I don't know, I didn't think I did, but do you know what, I've been, I have been going out in London quite a lot. Well, it's because it's this weather, it's gone bloody freezing. I right know, now. and I don't usually get poorly, but obviously with the tubes and all that stuff. Pollution, maybe, pollution. Yeah, maybe I just, it's my new sound. Why didn't you stay in Leeds? Um, why didn't I stay in Leeds? Because I moved to uni anyway, and then I just stayed out of Leeds. There was no need for me to go back, if I'm honest. I don't, I don't know why I would go back. I've got family there, but... There's no work there. And then, as soon as I finished uni, I went to... Where did I go to from there? I went back to Leeds for a little while whilst I did um, auditions and stuff, then got a job in Liverpool, went and did Hollyoaks for a few years, and then just moved from there to London. There's just never been a... What was growing up in Leeds like, though, for you at that time? Um, what, what, what year were you born, Mandy? Do you want me asking? No, 88. <clears throat> 88. Yeah. And we were, we were brought up on a council estate and we had a massive news agents on that council estate. So it was a really weird thing because people needed to come into the shop because we were the, the biggest news agent on that shop. Like, it was massive, like a mini supermarket. But then you would see the same people being really racist to my dad and my dad having fights. But I was like... But you definitely need to come in next week. And then, you know, they'd apologise a little bit. They wouldn't be allowed in for again. a while. Well, then they'd be allowed in for a bit because we there was this just weird relationship there. So, certain people weren't ever allowed back in. But it was like, oh, you know, they've apologised now. Or we've sorted it out. It was a few years ago. And then they'd come back in. But I was like... I don't, and 
my dad had that shop built on that council estate um, and had been there quite a long time, like by the time I was born he'd already been there quite a long time, so he, he'd made friends with a lot of these people, but they were still really racist. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I don't mind you at the shop, but I just don't like the other ones because they needed the shop. Yeah. Yeah, they were talking to him nicely when they came into the shop, but... Because they needed something Because they needed him. something from How him. How did your dad deal with that? How did he cope with that? I don't know, we don't really... We're not really a family that speak about stuff like that. But I just used to see him have fights all the time. I think he was just there, like, making money. Yeah, with there's six girls and a boy. In your family? In my, like, I've got five sisters and a brother. And they so are, are you the all, youngest? I'm or? the youngest girl, so I've got five older sisters, is yeah. me and my younger brother. And I think it was just a... With my dad, it was just, we're here to make money, just protect the girls. Like, he used to get them to fight, and they did stick up for themselves. Because they had to. They had to. And I think for my dad, it, I think it was just protecting their, us and my mum in the shop and going, we're making money because it was a good shop, we're doing well. And... Well, just hope like nothing really bad happens. Did your mum work in the shop as well? Yeah, and so there was loads of times, and it was big, so we had workers and stuff. But there was loads of times when she'd be left by herself, and I was like, if me and my dad went to go and pick my brother up from karate, he would. I always remember him making sure that there was no one hanging around the shop before he left her, because he's probably thinking, I've got my wife in there, my kids in there. I'm yeah. only going 15, 20 minutes up the street. But still, anything can happen. Can't like, that. Just like, like that. Like we had like CCTV, we had barbed wires everywhere, we had like. Um, radio to the police so I would constantly have like you know when the the radio is like and you can hear bits and pieces of coming in like that was just a constant thing in my head growing up a constant so, worry a constant worry and yeah. like at loud noises like I'd quickly go to window because I'd see what was happening outside and we had CCTV even upstairs so you could see the monitors so there was just this constant surveillance going on which I took to me I took with me my whole life when we moved we moved to a nice area and I used to look out the window, I was like, oh, no, we're in a cul-de-sac now, it doesn't happen here. And then when I got to uni, they, they said, why'd you look out the window? I was like, I don't know, I'm just really nosy, but I have to make sure I know what's happening. Yeah. And properly assess, and just keep an eye on it. It could be nothing, it could be like a recovery van moving a car and I've got to keep an eye on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, always like a proper tw- a curtain twitcher. <laughs> Are you mum and dad from Leeds? Um, no, they moved, they both were born in India. Whereabouts in India? The, the Punjab, both right. of them. And then they came over, I'm not, not definite, because we don't like, me and my f- family are really not like vocal, I'll hear something off my sister about my mum, and then my mum's like, that's not true. <laughs> I don't know where she, where she got that from. So they moved around like when they were about 14, 15, um, came over to different parts of England. My dad was in Essex for a while, and my mum was up north. And then they met each other. And my dad moved up north to he moved to Bradford to be with her to be with together, and then they got married, moved to Bradford, and then moved into Leeds and started like doing like work in the shop. Well, he actually had the shop built, the first shop that we had. My dad had it built, and then we've just moved around different shops in Leeds. How come? Because you said before about that you don't really communicate about the the worry and the racism sort of aspects with, within your family. Did you talk about that with your sisters? Because obviously your mum and dad are of a different generation. And I know what it's like, the different generations sometimes, they sniff up a lip and they don't really want to talk about it, they'll just kind of deal with it. But maybe did you talk about that with your sisters? No, I think they might be of the same. Really? <laughs> I think we just we just don't, like... My sister, my big sister tells stories now to her son and she'll say, oh, when we, you know, we had to do this, like, your granddad made us do X, Y and Z, fight people, we used to, like you know, chase people with a bat and whatever. <laughs> so they talk about it in that sense, but we don't talk about 
um, the effects of it. I'm not sure if it, I was because re- I was really young at the time. In the old shop, I was there from being born to 11, 12, whereas my sister, much older, they're a good 10 years older. They had a lot of years there, so I don't know if it just affected me differently because I was little and then taken out of that situation, whereas that's all they know, and they've turned into adults just knowing, knowing that, like, they can really stick up for themselves. So we'd have loads of stuff happen where my dad was like, oh, we, like, who's going to sort it out? And I was like, not me. Too little, please don't be me. <laughs> and they'd have to, like, decide between them which one <laughs> wanted to sort it out. But no, we just don't speak about it at all. But we're not a family that talk about um, things like that anyway, like emotions whatsoever, even if we've, like... We have lost people in our family really close to us young. Um, my cousin passed away when she was really young in 2013. She's a few years younger than me, but we don't speak about that. We speak of her. Yeah. We don't speak about the experience and how people dealt with that. I would have no idea how my sisters dealt with it. Do you, would, would you speak about it? I speak it? about it, but I speak about it with um, my cousin, whose sister it was. Mm. And I'll speak about it with friends. Like, I'm really open with friends. Um, I could just phone a friend and speak to them for hours and it'd be fine but I do I always think wonder how my sisters dealt with it because I'm not asking them if they're okay they're not really asking me if I'm okay we're kind of assuming that everyone's okay by the looks of things but you never know what's going on in the no, inside no but yeah. I am really vocal I am really vocal with my friends and particularly like my cousin whose sister it was I could you know she could phone me crying or I could phone her saying I've just seen X, Y and Z and it really made me think of Alicia um, but I just think I don't know how how they're that's doing good it. that she's like that with you then because she's dealing with that grief in a way yeah and she there was only um, my cousin and her sister who passed away so now she's in a, like left with no one so but we are incredibly close so I feel privileged that she feels like she could just phone me whenever she needs to or send a message and you know she we are really soppy with each other but I think that experience made us really soppy with each other but thankfully we had each other and brought you, maybe brought you even closer even together. closer I mean we were ridiculously close anyway she was like a little sister anyway but it did just strengthen that bond where I'm like actually she's not my cousin she's my friend like I choose to speak to her mm. um, but yeah we are very fortunate I guess that we had each other in that experience. Because I, d- I just don't know why we're like... We just are like that as a family. Just not vocal. <laughs> Sometimes families are like that, though, aren't they? And, the gen- and to certain generations are like that. And also, if a certain generation is like that, like at the top, and it kind of bleeds down, yeah. it can bleed down. I also think it's a cultural thing. Just there's loads of things, you know, I don't hug my mum and dad, I don't... I can't... <laughs> people think it's really weird, but I don't. I'm like, I don't think my mum's ever said she loves me. But I would find that incredibly weird if she did. I'd be like, oh, why is she saying that? Like, yeah. people force us to hug her. And even we're like, oh, this is disgusting. And they're like, just hug your mum. But I'm like, I know she loves me. Like, yeah, that's she, the thing. You know, know it. I feel you, yeah. it. Like, it's, this is weird. Like, you guys. My brother hugs her and she's like, oh, get off. What, your, your mum does that? Yeah, she secretly likes it. But I'm like, oh, why are they touching each other? <laughs> <laughs> At our school, were you and your sisters and your brother, like, did you go to the same school at least? Yeah, we all went to the same school, but... Um, Where was that? That was we went to Coburn in Beeston, mm. and then halfway through the year, me, we moved. Um, we moved houses, so me and my brother. Is that when you moved to the cul-de-sac. Yeah, that's when we moved to um, another part of Leeds, which was really, really nice. Um, so me and my brother moved schools at that point. 
Um, I weren't in school that much with my big sisters because they'd all left by the time I'd got in there. Right. People knew of them. All the teachers knew of my sisters. Um, and then me and my younger brother went to school together. We moved schools, which was quite tough, I think. I moved in year... So I only had two years there. So I moved in year 10. And he, he was a few year, he's a few years younger than me in school. And I just think it was a really weird time to move school with no other sibling. I now had to look after him. Before, everybody knew the shop. It was on yeah. the city. It was really close. People were coming in the shop after school. People knew my sisters. One of my sisters was really, really naughty, so the teachers knew of her. And I felt safe, whereas now I felt like I had to protect my brother. And we went to an estate where there was not a lot of Asian people. And so when we got there on the first day, this girl was like... Right, we're going to have a fight because people said Indian people are really hard. And I was like, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I was you like... You want to see my sister? Yeah. I thought, but I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to have a fight with her because I can't come to this place with just me and Danny. And there were a few Asian people, but not a lot. Um, I'm really going to have to stand my ground here. It didn't come to fruition, thank God for that. I don't know why, maybe... Maybe she got scared of just the well, way I looked. Well, probably because you stood your ground and you didn't... Oh, but I, had no, I kind of had no choice. I was like, oh, three o'clock, I'm going to get bad now. <laughs> that's that first time going into prison or something. Yeah, <laughs> fight the cock of the prison. Yeah, but I was like... It is, I think it was the case of... I said to people, all right, cool. All right, then. All right. I didn't... I don't know what I would have done anyway, but I was like, all right, then. So they were passing it on because they were her cousins and that. All right, then she's going to... And she was in the same year as me. It weren't like she was a few years older than me. You know, she was a big lass, but I thought, all right, I'm going to have to do it. But then my brother had some the same kind of issues, I think, for a little while when he first started. So we'd walk home together, and then after school, so he was probably in about year eight, I think, and he was like, right, beat me up. So every day he'd want me to beat him up in the corner. But then he'd start crying, going, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. <laughs> but I weren't really hitting him that hard. It was just quite good for us. He was like, I remember being in our house, because my mum and dad had another shop. So they then went to the shop, so we hardly ever saw them. So we would be in the house by ourselves. I remember just, like, beating him up in the corner at room, going, oh, that's the proper type, that is. <laughs> but then he took up rugby, got absolutely massive, became friends with everyone and then really found his feet there. Like, that was his high school for him. Yeah. He still hangs around with them people. Right. He knows that village, whereas for me... Is he still there? He plays rugby for uh, Kipax. Right. And, so, and all his mates are there, so he still lives in Leeds. So that really is his life. Um, and I'm glad he really found his feet, because after, like, two years, I left and just left him there by himself. But he was absolutely fine at that point. He'd really got really big at rugby, and I was like... I won't be fighting you anymore. No. That my time is done. I don't think anybody done. would be. <laughs> so that was good. Did you find your feet in those last few no, years? No. I um I didn't I didn't have as I didn't have problems with people. It's just that I were putting the bottom sets for everything. Um just they said, Oh well, you know, well we reassess where you should be and I never got moved. So I never excelled the way I think I should have done. Um I think the highest grade I got was probably in drama and that even that was even still a B. Um, my science class was, they were so naughty. My French class were just absolutely, oh my God, they were just on another level. And at times I did play up, if I'm honest, but not really. You just couldn't learn. It, it weren't an hour that I was getting taught anything. It was trying to get these guys to stay in class, right. which I found really entertaining. But I just know if I'd have stayed in the groups that I'd have needed to be in, I would have probably got higher grades and whatnot and actually sat and listened. Do you think you weren't allowed to sort of grow in yeah. those classes? Yeah, well, you just didn't... It weren't about learning what was on, on the board. 
were we were all laughing at each other and people would run out and then that had been another 20 minutes of getting them back in class. And all of a sudden your hours then, gone. Yeah, and even like French, I remember being going, thinking, oh my God, there's not a chance I'm going to be able to pass this exam. Like, I don't know if it was every class, but we were allowed like cue cards and stuff. I thought, like, I'm going to have to have everything on this cue card because I have absolutely no idea. I'm just going to have to phonetically write everything out. Um, so I ended up getting quite not the best grades in GCSE. And I don't think that was a true reflection. And Did I never, you feel that you were academically minded more than they, you were given credit for yeah but not not I'm not sitting here saying that I am really clever I'm not in that sense I don't retain a lot of information mine's more like life knowledge or general knowledge that I found on Twitter and I'll just use it like I made it up but like <laughs> but I do think I could have I could have excelled a little bit more if I if I just had gone into the groups that I was supposed to go in from the start but sometimes... or maybe not move schools because yeah. that was quite a... And you wouldn't think it was a big deal, but I was year 10. I'd really found my feet in the other school. You know, I hung around with um, all the cool kids. Um, I was doing really well. I didn't really need to show off there because it was OK to be cool and do your classes. It's probably hard to leave your friends, though, because you'd, you'd done a lot of growing but, up. Yeah, and they were from the... You know, we'd been to primary school with most of the school. They come into our um, news agents after school, whatnot. Um, and I found, like, I had a gr- good group of mates in the second um, high school, but it just were never the same. I would just go in, right, I just need to get out of here kind of thing. Oh, was that the main aim? Yeah, yeah, this for me, yeah like, out. they had, um, you know, where you stay on after year 11, they had all that, but I was like, no, I need to, I need to go back. I need to... Because I used to being in Leeds, and this school was a little bit outside, heading the other way. Right. And so their town centre was Castleford, which is completely different to my town centre in Leeds, completely different. I needed to go somewhere where it was a bit more multicultural and head back into Leeds. And all, all my uncles and sisters had been to the college that I was heading to. So it just felt like the right place to go, just did, head back Did out you there. find it odd, that second school, that it wasn't, as you say, multicultural? Did you feel, did you feel that it was a bit odd that you yeah. were there? Yeah, like the whole experience was a bit like, what? Why is there only like two Asian people in the village? And then me and my brother would come from outside. It was a massive school as well. It was a massive school, but whereas the school that I went to in Beeston, Coburn, it was like there's so many Asian people in Beeston. It was really multicultural. The teachers were, you know, we had Asian teachers. Right. Didn't really have Asian teachers when we got to our new school. I think maybe if I'd have started a few years below, like my brother did, you can get your feet in then, and and it's not so. It's not so bad, but for me, I was like, I've just, I was near the end. As you say, it's a tricky time for you to move schools in year 10. I'm glad we did. I'm like, I'm so glad we moved out of the council estate and away from the shop because I just have this ongoing fear about my mum and dad. Like, I always worry about them. I worry about them opening the shop. I worry about them going to cash and carry and lifting heavy stuff. I worry about the weather. You don't know who's going to come in. Yeah. Like, I've seen so many fights. I've seen people like, you know, this one woman stole my mum's jewellery, like, off of her neck and whatever. We would lift... I'd help her lift um, the shutters up. And one time I, like, lifted the shutters up. We was probably about nine, ten. I'm lifting the shutters up. And outside these massive horses, police horses, raiding a house. And I'm just like, I'm going to go and get the fresh cream cakes from the back, help my mum with that trolley, and then I'm going to go to um, school through these. <laughs> my God. So I was I was so glad we'd left that yeah, yeah, yeah. estate. Your mum and dad still work in this, they've got the shop. So they've got different shops now in different part they've got a different one in a different part of Leeds. Much smaller, they can manage it. They said, you know, we've got this one because we're the ones that want to work in it. So we work in it if they go to a wedding or whatever, but they don't need workers in this one. Nicer area. Yeah. And they've been there quite a long time, so 
the people that are about 18 now, they've seen, they've seen them grow up, so they know who to look out for and who not to look out for. What were you doing outside of school? Like, extracurricular, we were, you, oh, were you no. doing stuff? Were you going to clubs or out? No, or? in, in the, first, uh, the first council estate we lived in, we weren't allowed to play out. Like, I was allowed one friend in, because it was really quite dangerous. Yeah. So I was allowed one or two friends in, and they'd come in inside and play with us, but I weren't really allowed out. I didn't play on the streets. We had massive fences that had, like, barbed wire and, like, anti-thief um, paint on them. Yeah. So we kind of just, like, said hi to our friends through the gate. Hiya, through the <laughs> gate. But it was a massive, like, a massive garden. We had all the toys in the world, and there was seven of us. Like, we had our own football team. Yeah. So we just needed to play with each other. We had massive mountain bikes that you could actually, because it was so big, you could actually, you know, really pick up some speed and whatnot. So I never felt that I needed to go out. I always felt quite protected and safe. And when my friends were inside, like, if I had one friend in, she was cool as well now because she's inside. We were allowed anything we wanted from the shop. So if it was hot, we would just go to the fridge and get out the ice pops, ice cream, and then go back out and play. We did our chores as well. We had to do work in the shop. But that didn't start until, like, maybe, like, four o'clock you had to fill up. Right. And it was only, like, I did the pop and the chocolate and I was done for, like, after an hour. I got loads of money. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you thinking about when you were leaving school? Because you obviously wanted to get out of that, that second school. But were you thinking, well, I'm not staying on. Did you have any plans about what you wanted to do? I always, I've always known that I wanted to do acting. And so when From I got, an early age? Oh, like, since about six or seven. Like, I've never, ever wanted to do anything else. I thought about being a police officer for a second, just so I could police what was going on around. But then I was like, I'm scared of dogs, I'm scared of the dark, can't swim, scared of heights. <laughs> this is not going to bode well. <laughs> um, so that's lasted about ten minutes. That's why I've always wanted to play a police officer. I think because I just was like, I really wanted to be one. Yeah. It just wasn't feasible in real life. Um... So when I got to the new high school, the drama teacher there, Mrs. Woffington, was really good. And she, um, in her classes, is probably where I excelled and why I got a good grade. Um, because she really pushed for it. She really wanted me to do their, um, their play, but I couldn't because I had a Saturday job at that point. Right. Um, so, and she really helped me get to get to college to study my BTEC. I knew I was heading out of that school and that village anyway. Mm. And I probably more than likely would have gone to the college park lane that I would have gone to anyway because all my siblings went there and even my uncles kind of just was like, that's a given, that's where you go. Yeah. So, but she really helped me get out of there, do the BTEC at um, college. Really weird because no one's really stopped me doing it. I don't think anyone really thought about it. It was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't go home and go, like, you need to get me in drama school. I need to be in the play. I need this, I need that. I kind of did it really quietly with the help of, like, teachers at school. Why do you think you did it quietly? Were you worried about... No, I think no one... My sisters were like, we have no... We know what you want to do. We have no idea what to do with you. We know we have no idea about classes around here. And Was so, there nothing around there, like, no, other classes apart from school? No, we wouldn't have been allowed to them anyway. We were allowed to, like, you know, one of those clubs that you go to where you pay 20p? Well, like but, a youth club. Yeah, but yeah. not a lot because we weren't allowed out. <clears throat> and it was a new thing. Um, my older sisters, they started doing, like, a, a school play outside of school. And that's when I was really jealous because I was like, that's my thing. But now I have to stand in the shop while you free go and do West End Story. <laughs> and then they'd come back after two hours and I was like, right, then you can go in shop now. <laughs> a little bit jealous <laughs> that they got to go to rehearsals. But no, there were no, nothing like that. And my sis, But I used to... My sisters used to make me dance and do performances at home. So it's not like they completely ignored it. Yeah. They would, like, would dress me up 
like make my hair really curly, put mousse in my hair, make me sing like my dad had made me sing like Hindi songs to my brother, which were like love songs, and he really weren't into it, and I had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> Thank God, because that's weird. <laughs> and then I would do like little comedy shows that were absolutely not funny. I'd dress up as the Spice Girls, so it's not like they ignored me at home and what I wanted to do, but there was like we have no idea what to do with you. We don't really know where people go and do this. Yeah, We'd, I'd heard of Sylvia Young from someone else's niece who wanted to do it and I was like I want to go to Sylvia Young and then there was like that's in London like you've got to stay there for two weeks I was like I don't want to go to Sylvia Young <laughs> obviously I didn't want to do it because that was massive going to London yeah. I wasn't even allowed outside let alone go to London yeah and what were you now like 17 no by that then I was still young I was still like 12 13. Oh, oh at that age at the, yeah at that right. age so then we'd move to the new house I was allowed out a bit more um, went to the new school, still didn't do their, the play that they did after school because I had a Saturday job and the rehearsals fell on a Saturday. And she was like, I'd really want you to be in James and the Giant Peach. But I took my Saturday job really seriously, fluffing cushions. And I was like, no, oh, I've got to Where were you fluffing cushions? It was a shop called International where, what's that thing where you go work at school for a week? I can't remember. What, what like it? work experience? Work experience. I was so good, I got a job. So I had a job at like 13 on a Saturday. Oh, fluffing cushions. Fluffing cushions. I got to choose what cushions went on like the display of this shop in, in the city centre. And because I'd worked on the tills and stuff before, I was able to work on the tills quite quickly. And I just liked wrapping people's like ornaments and stuff up really nicely. <laughs> just like, oh, thank you so much. And I was like, I'd use two pieces of paper of like brown wrapping paper. Like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I took that really seriously so I didn't get involved in the play. And then, then went to college and just... Then college helped me get to university. How did you find college? Did you enjoy that Yeah, course? I did. I did, finally. You know, <clears throat> but that's because it was in the middle of Leeds. It was multicultural. I was able to get the bus and be really independent at that point. Um, start, I was allowed to start having sleepovers at my friend's house. And so... And, and I just really enjoyed the course as well. And also, for the first time, people probably paid attention to me. And I was one of the ones that was like, oh, you're, you know, you're good if you want to carry this on. We'll help you get to drama school. You know, we did plays and we did a musical, um, Guys and Dolls, and I was the lead in that. And you wouldn't... Before then, I would have gone, I'm not going to be the lead in that because I'm Asian, why would I be? She's white. Of course, going to use white people. But at this, at this college, it weren't about that. It was about who was right for the part. And the, the class was full of, like... We had white and black. I was the only Asian person in the class, but we had black, mixed race, white people. So it just, I think I really um, found myself then. I became quite popular as well. Were you so. having different classes of people as well? As No, well we as... stayed as in the same class. No, 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 I mean, as in different class of people. Oh, well... They're um, from all sorts of different classes of, of, mm, of around Leeds, or was not, it quite a working class? It was a really working class. Um, it was. It's quite close to... Um, a lot of working class areas, so it was still the same same class as me. But just it just after two years of being in quite a predominantly white area, I was like, ah. <laughs> and then and then I was really popular and stuff like. That. I was like, this is it. It's what I've been waiting for. And Not them felt, French classes. You felt like you were thriving there. Yeah, 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 I did. And the teachers were really good, and they were really helpful. The classes were brilliant. Like, you know, I really enjoyed. We did loads of different things where you make props and stuff like that. We still had to do IT, so I was still doing... And we still did, like, quite a lot of written work with the BTEC. Yeah. Which, I am quite good at written stuff. If I have to, like, like write stuff quite descriptive, I'm quite good at that, so at least I got to do that again. Well, that's another part of your creativity, though, isn't it? Because you just get... You, instead of... You're expressing it there, you're Expre- popping yeah. it down on paper. And usually it was just about myself, like, I was very good in class today, I excelled. <laughs> it was always like, just keep a diary of your work. I was like, I did a back bend. <laughs> I gave myself five stars, gold star there, yeah. I was brilliant. 
So where was... Did you have a choice at university? Or... No, I did. They, um, so I had a choice in this... It, I was allowed to go anywhere at this point because my sisters had already gone through the whole thing of university with my dad and how far they can go and whether they can stay out or not. They'd done all that hard work. What were your sisters doing? Because they, they, they obviously had a career at yeah, this point. Yeah, they've studied, like... Um, they've studied IT, um, law... Two of them work for one of them worked for the police, so they are one's an accountant. So they'd really, you know, done the hard work and gone. Oh no, we're going to university in Birmingham and we're staying there, and I'm not coming back for the summer holidays. Come getting a job. So for me, it was pretty easy. It was genuinely about finding a university that I liked and the course that I liked at this point. Had it had I been one of the oldest siblings, it wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been the case. It yeah. might have been how far can I go? <laughs> Whereas now it was like, what is what's a good what's course? the best thing for you? Yeah. And where was that? I ended up going to UCLan in Preston. Um, I went for an open day there, and you had to do that. You had to do the obvious. You had to do an audition and to have a conversation, a monologue, whatnot. Uh, but then they ran this class called biomechanics. It's like a physical theatre, like physical training. It's really weird, um, and I just absolutely loved it. We had to do like frog jumps and all this stuff, and really show how strong you were. And I just really went all out. Sort of really, proper physical. Really, really physical. I was like, I am frog jumping myself into this course. <laughs> like, I think that was the selling point for me for UCLan, is that they studied biomechanics, which is really about your body. And I, I really wanted to go into physical theatre as well at that time. But um, they, their course was really good. What was your inspiration of wanting to go into physical theatre? I don't know. I just think, well, I can't really dance, as my BTEC teacher told me. She was like, you guys, don't come and... Because you could... <laughs> at the college, you could do, like, other GCSEs, like dance. And yeah. my friends did it. And she was like, maybe you don't do that one. That's not <laughs> this, where you're coming. This <laughs> so I can dance when I'm out in a club and stuff. Just choreography is just... takes me a, a lot longer. Whereas with physical theatre, I was like, yes, they are steps. But for some reason, I get, the, I get this. Yeah. And I like this. No matter what she says, I don't have two left feet. I do have two left feet. <laughs> But if a physical theatre company are listening, I don't. And I just, I'd gone to see stuff as I was um, at school and um, college took me to see things like DVA and complicity and all that yeah. stuff. So I just really saw it and thought, that's absolutely amazing. I can do that. I've never done it. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. So moving to Preston, because we started having a chat before and I don't know if we were recording at the time. Did you get a lot out of the course? I did. Regardless of all that other shit. Yeah, no, I got. I I really enjoyed the course. I think I really still. I was still able to do a lot of writing, which I thought at one point I was like, oh, I just want to do the acting, but I actually in, quite enjoy that. It, it kept me on my laptop. We had to always uh, do like uh, written work, which brought my grades down. <laughs> so I'm wow. not as good as I thought. Well, because there was um, a few people in our class that were really good at writing their like literacy literacy skills were really good and so you if you're going to get marked against them i've already dropped a few points which completely makes sense which dropped my overall marks in my subjects because on my in my actual like uh, acting work i do quite well and it weren't that i weren't doing really well i just weren't getting the top levels um but i quite liked that it kept me at my laptop every now and then it means that when i write an email now i don't struggle to like find new words for like a simple word or whatnot, um, and I can quite type quite fast. But there were times when I was like, I just want to do the acting side. I just want to be an actor. Yeah, of course. That's all I want to do. Um, so I did get a lot from that. In that sense, I really enjoyed the biomechanics. We did um, at the end. We did a week long course, intense course of acting for TV with a guy called Philip Wood, and he taught me so much in a week. 
he really taught me, he gave us this book. We were doing practice auditions and tapes and whatnot, and he taught me so much to the point, and he really helped me. He, the, we did a showcase at the end, like you do, and um, an agent came in, some casting directors, Janet Hansen came in, and then I'd started auditioning for Emmerdale before I'd even graduated. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'd, I started... Did you feel you were ready to do that? Did you feel... Um, I felt, when I got there... When I got there, I felt out of my depth. I know why I didn't get it. So I'd done a, I'd done a few auditions for, for Emmerdale at that point and a screen test. How old are you now when we're talking I'm about this? I'm 30 now. No, no, no. So then I was 21. 21. 21. Um, had never auditioned before. I was auditioning, doing um, screen tests and stuff. But I know why I didn't get it. I was completely out of my depth there. Like, I still was looking at my lines. Whereas there were people that were older going for the same parts that were walking around doing their lines. They didn't have the piece of paper in their hand. They were, they were confident enough with what they'd done, that they were able to talk to each other. Like, I didn't, I wasn't even confident enough to drink water. I got dehydration. And, like, the, on the screen test day, I had the worst headache. And then I was put on the set with some of the actors, and I was like... And there was paps outside trying to get some of the actors, and I was like, this is this is too much for me. Well, it's, it should be... I mean, that does sound quite overwhelming, especially... But, of course, you're not going to know about like etiquette because you're you just learning. It's first auditions. Yeah, who's supposed to know? No one, no one really tells you exactly what it's like. No, until and also like and do it for yourself. Yeah, and also as well, like now, obviously, I don't pay any attention to people, other people walking around or other people talking. Like we learn things differently. Maybe you're going to get your piece of paper out when we get in there. Whereas it taught me so many things to know my lines really well, to know my lines if they put me on um, set with another actor from the show, like. There were so many things that I, w- I learned in that, just that one audition. Yeah. But I was really gr- grateful and really excited that, like, my career had already started before I'd graduated. I was already in the places that I needed to be in. And that was thanks to the uni and, and the, the teachers and people like Philip Wood that had put me in them places. And then I just left ram- left uni and then just auditioned all the time, was in that same position all the time. Did you feel testing. that you'd got, you'd got into that machine of getting yeah. to the auditions now? So there's no point if somebody said, right, do you want to go to drama school? No, I can't No, no, yeah, I'd already, I'd already started the process. I'd done my time at university. In, I, I thought, like, I'd learnt a lot in this TV for, for act, for TV, acting for TV course. And I think if it was anything, I probably would have extended that course and looked into acting for TV a little bit more. But I was already doing it. I was already. Well, you're le- you're learning. Yeah. You're learning with the auditions, though, aren't you? And so I didn't I didn't get anything for a while. But I was screen tested for quite a lot of stuff. I got to the last two, and it always was like they just went a different way. They went with someone with experience. And back then, I'd moved back to Leeds for a little while, so I was in this really nice estate, quite far out. I di- I weren't driving either. You weren't back living with mum and dad then. I went just for a few months while I was auditioning. Right. Back just went there back for a while. But there were no... Now, on reflection, I think, I should have done short films. I should have been, like, um, collaborating with people and doing my own stuff and trying to get into theatre. But back then, I weren't really taught to create your own work like people are now. I didn't really know about putting your work on stuff like YouTube and social media or writing or anything like that. But do you I think was, that's changed? That has changed past, massively. I mean, that's changed over the past, the past few years, and it people have gone right. Create your own content. Yeah, you, you just get up together and do it. Yeah, and I, I knew nothing about that. So I was sat there waiting for an audition, which luckily I used to have all the time. So I was sat there waiting for that audition and like hoping that I got that one. Otherwise, it's okay. That's not the case. And I wait for my next audition. Whereas I know now a lot of friends they're they're doing a million other things in between 
waiting for auditions. They're not actually waiting for auditions. They're creating work, you know. They're, they're writing their own stuff. They're going to... I, like, I hardly ever went to go watch theatre because um, it was so expensive. I, weren't driving into, I couldn't drive into Leeds. Everything's just seemed quite inconvenient now. Um, I, was, I was by myself. Like, a lot of my friends stayed at university and or moved on from their university. I'd gone back to Leeds for a little while to save some money and start auditioning and stuff. But I just wish now, I just said, you know what, instead of waiting for the phone, just start going doing short films and get experience that way. Because why I weren't getting TV jobs is because I had no experience. But I weren't helping myself by getting experience either. And so it took two years before I got my first TV job of constantly auditioning, recalls, self-tapes... Um, How were you finding that two years? Because for me, this is the first time that we've probably sat down and had a good natter. You seem to be very positive as a person. And I know probably you're in a right good place at the moment. <laughs> um, but back then, that's quite a long time, that two years. Well, I were doing theatre jobs and other stuff. Right. And so it didn't feel like... And there was never a time where I was like, I'm going to stop. Because I was doing theatre work, I just... I think... For me, I was like, wow, this is harder than I thought because my Emmerdale experience had kind of said to me, you're going to be fine. Look, you've got screen tested in your first audition ever. and But it, it weren't the case now. I was like, wow, it's going to be a little bit harder. But I never, in a weird way, I never... I've always knew I was going to do acting. I always knew it was going to come. I always knew I was going to get TV work and blah, blah, blah. So I never really worried. I never got into a, a place where it was like, it was never going to happen. No one at home put pressure on me either. They weren't like, you know, what are you doing? You don't have another job. Because I may, you know, there were times when I'd go do theatre in Manchester for two, three months, come back for a little while, head back out and do a tour. So no one was like, what's going on? You Why know, have you got nothing to fall back on? Yeah, and, like, yeah. my mum, you know, she would give me money whenever I wanted money. Like, she, the reason I would get into my auditions is because my mum were paying, was leaving money in the drawer and going, look, if you need it. Because it was so expensive to get from Leeds to London. Yeah. It was costing me about 85 quid, and I was in the room for 10 minutes. And I would, if that was twice a week, you know, so it got... That, it got, was, the, that was then, that was a few years ago. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a lot more expensive now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, as well. I didn't even know either back then that you could leave at certain times. I thought I had to leave after half seven. So I'd sit in King's Cross watching pigeons till half past seven. But I was like, so as, as I've got older, I've gone, no, you can leave. This is, you can leave before then. <laughs> and it honestly would wait till half seven to leave back. Again, I just got it all wrong. But um, I, didn't, I, I didn't ever go, oh, it's, you know, I'm going to stop. It's really difficult. No, there was no pressure on me. It, kind of, it went really fast, them two years. Really, really fast. I think because I had so many meetings and was well, also because it's not you're not having two years of loads of meetings and loads of rejections. As you say, you're going off, you're going to Manchester, you're doing a bit of theatre there, you're doing a tour there. You you are constantly keeping the creative machine yeah. sort of going for yourself, and maybe that explains why you kept the positivity. Yeah, around, you're and also busy. yeah, and also getting to like getting screen tested for things, even though you don't get it, and that's disheartening. I always said to myself, and I always used to say to friends, after you get penciled in, there's only one other step, is that you get the job. And so when I was getting penciled in for stuff, in my head I was like, this is just a stage. This is just one part of it. You know, I I just thought it was part of, you get an audition, then you get a recall, then you get penciled in, and then the next stage is, is you start getting the jobs. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if I were going to auditions and nothing were happening, it might have been harder. But I would go into the same place for the same part, and every single time I was like, I've got this, I've got this, like, I'm moving to Budapest, I've got it. <laughs> when Then when you didn't get things, did you? how did you feel? I'm not, like, 
I'm so lucky that I was usually doing another meeting, so it just you is what it is. Else I had something else, and it's the same case now. Like when I don't get work, or I I have a meeting, I come home from the meeting from in London, and then I'm doing my lines for the next meeting. And so I, I can't think about the other one. Yeah. Like, I, I want everyone. Every single time, I'm like, I want this one. This is perfect for me. This is brilliant. I'm like, friends, look, I'm not going to be in London because I've got this job and I'm moving. I'm moving away to Croatia for a while. Um, and I really think I've got all of them and I want all of them. But by the time I've got home, I'm doing my lines for the next one. Yeah. And so I don't have time to... And also that I've got to a place where there's so many reasons for you not getting work. And probably the one at the bottom of the list is because you... Not talented. Maybe I've just told myself that. But I, just, I always think matching families, who else, you know, who's got more experience, who's, who's, who's more, like, right for the job. Like, there's a, a million things that I always think of and then go, now I'm shit. That's the last one. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't really get to that point where well, I go, I'm shit. It's just one part and parcel of yeah. it, isn't it? If you match your family or if you don't match your family, if you've worked with a certain person already on the... Uh, the production team or whatever. It's all that kind of stuff. It's out of my hands. How did you find moving to London for the first time? Well, I'd been to Liverpool for a few years between between the, the Leeds and stuff. I went to go do Hollyoaks for a few years, lived in Liverpool. How long was Alan were you doing that for? Two three, years? And a half, three and a half, three and half years. Three and a half years? Yeah. Three and a half years playing the same part. It's playing the same part. And then I made this like business move. I was like, you know what? I could stay in Hollyoaks for years. I can see why people do it. I made amazing friends, lived in Liverpool in my own flat, um, you know, on a really good job because I was having a laugh. It was like uni and we were getting paid for it. Just having a really good time. And they offered me a new contract and I was like, I have to be brave now. Because I didn't, I never wanted to stay there for three and a half years anyway, but it's just so brilliant that I just got carried away. Was it quite a different way of working doing something like Hollyoaks? Because is it, what, how, did they go out five times a week? Yeah. So right, it's just so that's like. a big workload of filming. Yeah, it's just uh, five, six days a week, absolute machine. You go in there for like 10, 11 hours, and it's just constant. Like, especially even if it's not your storyline, you're in supporting somebody else's storyline. So I was fortunate to be in all the time. But is it one of those where you'll do a, a scene from one episode mm. and then you're doing a scene from another? So you don't know On, where you are. You've got to be geographically. I could be doing four or five episodes at the same time. Right. And so in my folder, I would have four or five episodes at the same time and we'd just jump back and forth just all the time. Loads of different colours. Yeah, loads of different colours episodes. I had loads of different stickers. But I lived with a guy called Stephen Roberts who was, and he were already on Hollywood before I got there, I moved in with him, and he was so organised and he's an amazing actor. And he was just like, right, I use these stickers and it tells me what scenes I'm on and what day and I just got into this beautiful habit of going down all the side of my file it'd tell me everything I were doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on top of every scene I knew where I'd been and where I were heading and the big things that had happened that I needed to remember and so every so it weren't that difficult but that's a completely different skill that you're learning doing that because that's not like um, normal filming at all but to me that was just a given because that was my first job right? and so I thought they were all like that Yeah. and so I've always known where I'm coming from where I'm going to, what ha- what ma- what's happened, what's massive, what was the mood, 
what was the scene before, even if I weren't in it. Yeah. Because I now need to determine, like, where the mo- energy is in well, the whole script. that's a brilliant script. foundation, isn't it, for yeah. moving on? Yeah, but that, that, that's what I mean. Like, a lot of people turn their nose up at um, soaps, and particularly Hollyoaks, but you learn so much. You learn how to hit your marks, how to get to work on time, how to work with so many different people. It's like, the cast is these 60, 70 people of all different ages, all different backgrounds. It's really loud. You're there you're filming all fast, day. aren't you? I bet you're really doing fast, a big yeah. page turn count. Which is day. what I quite... Which is what I quite like about working like that is that you're on a scene for an hour and a half or something like that. You talk to your mates, talk to your mates, talk to your mates. If you, I was part of the McQueen family, so I was in that set a lot. So just a new McQueen had come in, or I'd leave for a second, and I really enjoyed that. Um, whereas on other shows, you might be on the same scene for hours yeah. with the same few people. And then I'm like, these are really fun, but I want new people. <laughs> <laughs> whereas like on Hollyoaks, I got new people, you know. But I that to me was. The that given. was the norm, yeah. yeah. Because, well, when I first got there, they showed me this scheduling board and it was just this massive board across the room and there was like, you come in here and you find out what you're doing by looking at the board and finding your name. I was like, oh, my giddy aunt, I'm going to forget days when I'm not supposed to be in and blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it just it just, it just came to you. You just don't know how you, you do it. You don't know how you learn. So I was learning lines so fast. I was watching Hollyoaks at home and in the break... I'd learned some of my scenes, and there were like four or five scenes down in a couple of minutes. Were you always good at learning lines, or was this just no? Gone? That was that. That was that. That was that. Was that. that was having to learn lines. Um, not a lot of the dialogue um, changed though on the day, so that kind of helped. You know, I've had jobs where the dialogue does change on the day. There were a lot that got changed. Don't get me wrong, and so they'd come down and say, "Oh no, it's not this line anymore." And but are you it, good at doing that, at switching over when they say, um, oh, oh, there's a new, there's a new amendment there, we're changing I can do it, it and, and it will be fine, because you get a good few takes before you start going anyway, you know, get rehearsals. But I've got, like, I'm visual, so I'll highlight the page in the same way, and I hope to God that it's printed in the same order. So I need lines, you know, so on the original, if it finished... On, my line was the bottom of the page. That's how I've remembered it, where it's on the page. Yeah. If they've given me a new piece of paper, now my line's at the top of the page. I'm like, whoa. Right. Whoa. And so then I've got to study that page visually. Not for the line, but where the placement of it. So if I go into auditions now, I know where my line is on the page. I'm with you. And so I don't look at my page. I'm turning over the page without looking at it because I know that I've got to the bottom of it. Yeah. I don't need it for the line. I need just to go... If I need to go to a line, I know it's three quarters down the page. I know I've written something and I know it's highlighted in yellow. I know there's a big block and they end with the word A. It's all, it's all that stuff. Because <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, actually, and she was she was, she was was working and they were giving her a lot of new scenes on the morning. Going, oh, we've changed that now. And she's dyslexic. And like, it's really hard that they don't, they don't take shit like that into consideration. And I do think sometimes when you... You're at work and you do. You're given new scenes straight away, and you're right. I've got 20 minutes to try and no, learn. No, I've this seen now. people panicking. Well, you would panic because when you're... a lot of people can't um, sight read, even if they don't have dyslexia. Like I do um, ADR and stuff, or like voiceover work for Doctor Who, and they'll give me the piece of paper and the massive words, and even I go, I wish I'd have just quickly had a chance to read this once over. Yeah. But even if you don't have dyslexia, to be able to sight read for a lot of people is really difficult. But even in auditions sometimes, they don't take that into consideration. They'll give, like, the sides out there and then. I'm OK, but what? there's a million other people that... Well, that's what and I a was lot thinking, of creative yeah. people. Yeah. 
um, have dyslexia. Yeah. But yeah, it's not taken into consideration. No. Changing, you know, they think, oh, we've just changed a few words. It's, an, it's a few words to you, but it's my whole sentence to me. Yeah, it's a massive, massive big deal for them. I think, I think they assume because they can give you notes and you change your acting-wise, then you must be able to change your words. That's a different kind of fish, So though, different. If you're asking me to like be happy and then be t- sad, I can change that up. But change, change the word. Also, I have to write stuff down as well. In and what so, word do you mean? So, like, I have to write the new sentence down. So if someone said to me, oh, it's changed from this to that, or even on the day, I've got to write it quite neatly on the page where it should be and highlight it again. Yeah. Uh, because I've remembered it visually. So, like... I'm probably just remembering the words as opposed to what it means in the whole sentence. In my head, I've got the five words matched together and then I'll figure out how it comes out later. So, like, in my head, I'm like, I know my line that's coming up's got a big word beginning with A in, but I'm not quite sure what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I can just see the A on the paper. (laughs) So you said, you know, you were feeling brave and you wanted to do something else and move to London. And how was moving to London? Because that's quite a big deal, isn't it, really? No, it's a, it's a massive deal. I came here and I live with my sister. Um, oh, she was already here? It was a sister that was already here right. and her husband. So I, luckily I moved in with them. Um, like, just out, like, west London, but a bit of a trek into London. But I had no friends again. I was back to a place where I was like... She's starting so from scratch again. I've got no, I've got no mates. Yeah, I'm sat here learning lines constantly, going into London, coming out of London, on the way out of London, learning lines. I didn't really socialise. I've, I have this weird thing about I'll socialise after I get work. Let me just my biggest priority, I think, in life is working. So I don't really book holidays in case I get an audition. I don't really see my mates. I don't even see my mates now. I have mates I haven't seen in about a year and a half because of work. Do you think you're a workaholic? No, I, I don't know. I think I'm just not as sociable as a lot of people. God, you seem quite sociable to me. I think maybe just on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's real. I don't think it's real. Because I spent uh, years at my sister's house when I got to London, just in my own room by myself, um, doing my lines, reading, trying to be a better actor. Because going into London was a massive trek. Yeah. Um, then, I st- then, I, then I'd stay at my friend's house a lot. But it weren't to socialise, it was because I had meetings and it now was easy to go from her house. So you're prioritising? Yeah. Um, but I, it's just a big trek going into London and go, they're going, oh, come to the theatre. What happens after the theatre? I can't get home. I live out, like, outside of London near Heathrow yeah, Airport. Yeah. Like, how am I going to get out? And I overanalyze all that stuff. I'm not driving into London because that's a big deal. Yeah. And so now I'm not that's going more to. stress. Now I'm not going to the theatre because now the theatre's expensive and I've <laughs> got no job and now it's going to take me. I'm going to worry about how I get home. So now I've, I'm not going to the theatre. I'm not going to anyone's birthday party. I, you know, I'm not one of those people that go, I can't come out because I've got an audition tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not that person because I've already started learning my lines. Yeah. But I'm not coming out because it's such a big deal to get back home. So then I spent the first year and a half by, by myself, with my, with my sister there, but just really focusing on acting. It, it paid off. But on, I think, on reflection, I probably would have preferred to have lived in closer into London and socialised a bit more. Because but are you good at being in your own company? Yeah, well, I was forced to, so... <clears throat> yeah, I was, I was going to say, were you, do you think you Prior were... Prior to, like, in Liverpool, absolutely not. I couldn't... I was going to say, that sound, 
the, being living in Liverpool three and a half years and the London seemed like two opposite ends of the spectrum. It, it was, and it was a massive day. I got to London and I got in my sister's car and I was like, oh my God, I've just been driving around Liverpool, going to the gym with my friends, eating with my friends, going to work with my friends, coming over, staying at my house, blah, 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 and I've gone to a place where I'm just like, now all I do is learn lines. I've got no mates. I've got one mate in London and she's at the other side of London. Yeah. Um, so it, the contrast was massive and so in Liverpool I never were by myself if I were going to be by myself for the weekend I've got in my car and I've driven to Leeds every Friday I'd drive to Leeds because I was scared of being by myself whereas in London I mean my sister was there she was working my brother-in-law was there but throughout the day you've got a lot of hours where you're by yourself Yeah. and I was four, it, did, ah, it took me a long time Took me did you get lonely year. during that time at all? I think I did I think I would say I was quite lonely then but what's come out of it is now I can spend... I don't even leave the house for, like, two days. And everyone's like, you haven't left the house? But I'm like, I'm only leaving the house if I need to leave the house. <laughs> like, when I wake up and realise I don't have to leave the house, that's brilliant for me. I don't want to do it every day. No. But at least once a week I need to not be able to leave the house. Like, I've left the house all week, this week, so tomorrow I don't have to leave the house. And that's absolutely... People find it weird, but I'm just like, knowing that I'm not opening that door and I'm going to stay in my dressing gown and do stuff... Do stuff, watch documentaries, be quite productive. If I need to get the kettlebell, I'll do a bit of exercise. Is really exciting. And I'd need it now. I need it. If I've, like, done too much talking as well over a weekend, I'm like, I'm just not going to see anyone one day. Amanda, <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely talking to you. Thank, oh, thank you, thank you so, so much. much. Thank you so much. I've had such a good time. Like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> And another episode is done. A huge thank you to Mandit for coming to meet us in London and having a brilliant natter. I loved meeting. That was the first time I'd, I'd met Mandip. Really, I'd met her very, very briefly just to say hello to. Um, and she's a lovely, lovely ball of energy, that woman. Fantastic. I loved meeting her. So, Mandip, thank you. And also thank you for downloading and subscribing and tuning in. You know how much it means to us. Well, that's it. Episode 67 is next week. So have a fantastic week. Look after yourself. Take care. And uh, yeah, you know where we are. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Two Shot Pod. We're Two Shot Pod at gmail.com. Don't be scared. Don't worry. Drop us an email if you want. Um, go tell your friends. Tell your friends about the Two Shot Podcast. There's more and more people joining us every day. In fact, I had a very lovely email only yesterday from a... I can't say who it is, but um, she's a, an actor uh, who I've watched her career bloom over the years. She's doing fantastic work. So uh, she said very nice things. I'm not going to read it out. It's not Steve Wright. Um, but hopefully, cross fingers, she may come on and sit down and have a natter with me. And I'll tell you more about that when I know. Until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Take care of yourself. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.